Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was, which makes me wonder... If you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls. And it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality 
and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about a nosy neighbor and terrifying train rides. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of L. Pine and Dominic Eagle are voice talents Olivia Steele, Melissa Exelberth, and Melissa Medina. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theater of the Minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening is written by L. Pine and is performed by Olivia Steele and Melissa Exelberth. Now, without further ado, I present to you Barbara's New Neighbors. Barb just wanted to be left alone. However, that was hard to accomplish when her next-door neighbor was an overly friendly chatterbox with far too much time on her hands and societal politeness kept Barb from just turning around and closing the door on her. Which wasn't to say that Barb hated her new neighbor. She just wasn't particularly fond of company, at least company she hadn't planned in advance. Lindy Lou Jeffrey, however, was a woman cursed with the love of spontaneity and socializing. Also, she had one of those annoying baby doll voices that Barb just couldn't listen to for very long. Lindy Lou's voice was naturally high-pitched and gushy, like she was talking to a small child. It had an accidental air of condescension to it that was an affront to anyone older than three. So it was the perfect voice for a preschool teacher, which is exactly what Lindy Lou was. Even her name screamed, I work with toddlers for a living. I was just talking with Jeff about having you and your husband over for dinner sometime. Lindy Lou cooed sweetly, ever chipper. You're free next weekend, I hope. Barb was taken aback by two things at that moment, one of which was the realization that Lindy Lou's husband was actually named Jeff Jeffrey, which brought on all kinds of questions, mainly how much did his parents hate him, and second was that Lindy Lou had asked about Barb's husband. Barb did not have a husband. She glanced pointedly at her driveway where her only car sat. Any married couple or small family unit had at least two cars. That should be obvious to anyone. I don't have a husband. Barb said a bit more curtly than she'd intended. She raised her hands to show the lack of a wedding band on any finger. Secretly, she was glad to deflect the conversation away from a dinner invitation. Lindy Lou blinked, her long, well-made-up eyelashes fluttering in clear confusion. Barb supposed you didn't really need a great deal of intelligence to be a preschool teacher, just a lot of optimism, energy, and patience, which Lindy Lou seemed to have in spades. Barb could respect that in a woman. Too much intelligence could lead to overthinking and poor social skills, which was her own personal cross to bear. Lindy Lou's lack of concern for any annoyance her persistent friendliness might cause was something Barb was a bit jealous of. Then who was that man I saw in your yard the other day? Mrs. Jeffrey asked, her lip coming up in a little pout. Did you have somebody over? I don't think I did. 
Barb replied in her usual dry tone, which masked the uncomfortable feeling in her stomach. What did he look like? Oh, I didn't really see much. Just the back of him, for a moment. It was just a blink, though. I might have just imagined it. Anyway, it was good to chat with you, Barbie honey, but I've got to get baking. School's got a bake sale coming up. Oh, you know what? Maybe you can help me? I'll just tittle on back when I'm done so you can taste test a few things. Uh, give me your honest opinion, and you can also give me your answer about dinner. Oh, uh, sure. Barb felt both a sense of relief that the conversation was over and dread that she'd have to go through the whole awkward exchange sometime in the future. Also, she hated being called Barbie by anyone. I'll be seeing you. Bye-bye! Lindy Lou crooned out her farewell and sashayed her way back to her front porch. Barb was more than happy to scuttle back into her lair and lock the door behind her to return to what she had been meaning to do before Lindy Lou's impromptu arrival. Barb marched out the back door onto the porch with a bag of Tomcat in her hand, staring at the directions without really reading them. She was stewing with annoyance over the time she'd lost being trapped by Lindy Lou's lack of self-awareness. She had deadlines to meet, for one thing, and she'd rather spend her weekend playing around in her new garden than talking about bake sales and toddlers. She supposed Lindy Lou couldn't really be villainized. She probably hadn't had anyone to talk to, and Jeff Jeffrey didn't seem to be the sort of person who was a font of conversation. According to what Barb had bothered to glean, he worked in the IT department of some firm or other, and he looked exactly like the sort who would. She had only caught sight of the top of him in a rare instance in Lindy Lou's backyard one late evening, obscured by bushes, and she had not been impressed. He was a stooped, hunch-shouldered sort, with a small but very pointed nose with an upper jaw that went so far forward that it made his teeth stick out and give him a sort of snout-like look. He could have some muskrat in his ancestry if Barb was any sort of judge. He was proof to her theory that attractive women married ugly men, which would be all right if he had personality. But her encounters with him had been brief, awkward eye contact, which he'd held for too long, before he disappeared without so much as a word or a wave. He probably hadn't had a chance to open his mouth in all his years of marriage and had forgotten how to speak. Barb could almost feel a kinship with him. He clearly had about as much social grace as she did. But the Jeffrey's marital woes were only speculation and were none of her business. Maybe Jeff Jeffrey liked listening to his wife's baby doll voice and couldn't be happier. Maybe Lindy Lou had a thing for muskrats who worked with computers. Barb had her own problems, one of which was trying to figure out if there actually had been anyone in her yard. And the other was the mole. As far as she could tell, there were no signs of any shoe prints and nothing was taken. No one had tried to get into the house or the shed. It was something to watch out for, but nothing to be paranoid about just yet. Now that that was done, she went to inspect the damage done by the mole. The back half of her yard was adorned with ridges of dark soil that sunk when stepped in, a complete minefield of booby traps and potential broken ankles. Barb put her hands on her hips and surveyed her ravaged domain. He'd been busy and there was almost something deliberate and geometric about the patterns of tunnels that interrupted the sea of green grass. He's making crop circles, she said aloud, knowing it was ridiculous, but it almost seemed true. That's what made it so funny and infuriating. 
Barb loved nothing more than to spend her free time gardening, but she couldn't really get started on anything if this pest wasn't dealt with. He'd just tear up roots and sink the landscaping. He had to go. She tried to be a bit more humane about it, but the traps never caught him. So poison it would have to be. She set to work laying the bait in the dirt before she was satisfied with what she'd accomplished and went back inside to wash her hands and make lunch. You have got to be kidding me, she ground her teeth as she stood on her back porch the next morning with a cup of coffee in her hand. It looked like the poison had only provided new energy and nourishment to the little bastard. In one night, he tore up the entire yard with an intricate network of tunnels, which all seemed to be a little deeper and a little more pronounced. It was like he was giving her a very clear middle finger. What was worse, her back porch was slanting. The right corner was starting to sink into the ground as the support had been caved in. Barb wasn't sure who she should contact first, an exterminator or a contractor. But it seemed reasonable that there'd be no point in fixing the porch until the beast below had been properly dealt with. This was war. The pest control people had agreed to come out sometime in the next three days. Barb couldn't help but wonder if there was anything left of her house in the next three days. Probably just a roof sticking out of the top of the ground like a stubby pyramid. The thought made her laugh. It was when the evening rolled around and she was washing dishes and contemplating the expenses of contractors, exterminators, and buying new plants that it occurred to her that Lindy Lou hadn't ever come back with her bake sale samples. Barb had actually forgotten about it and thought it was weird that Mrs. Jeffrey had not come by for a second visit yesterday evening. Maybe baking had taken a lot more out of her than she'd expected or something had come up. Curious, she glanced with more concentration to the Jeffrey's house. From her own kitchen window, she could see both the windows into her neighbor's laundry room and half of their backyard. Since it was evening, the lights provided a better view inside. She could actually see the back of what looked like a man with broad shoulders and blonde hair ironing a shirt. Barb frowned. That wasn't Jeff. It was then that some movement in the Jeffrey's yard caught her attention, and she jumped a little. Well, there was Jeff or at least the top of him, a bit hard to make out in the dim light, but visible enough to be recognized, squinting with his tiny dark eyes over the white picket fence and creeping shrubbery. He was staring right at her. Barb inhaled through her teeth, blood flushing to her cheeks at being caught spying. But she gave a nervous little grin and raised a hand in greeting. She supposed the man ironing his shirt could be a relative or a family friend. As soon as she waved, Jeff's head vanished again behind the shrubs, as though ducking down to avoid being spotted. Barb stood on tiptoe to catch sight of him, but couldn't see anything. The leaves rattled a little bit, but then they went still, and that was it. Unsettled, Barb quickly shut off her own kitchen light, deciding the rest of the dishes could wait until morning. She went to the living room to be comforted by television, not too keen on trying to understand her eccentric next-door neighbor. For all she knew, He could be the one who Lindy Lou had seen in her yard. The thought made her feel a bit queasy, but she supposed there could be a reasonable explanation. Maybe a pet had wandered into her yard and he'd decided to retrieve it without the awkwardness of having to ring the doorbell. Or maybe he hadn't been in her yard at all and she was just being paranoid. Nighttime had a way of making everything seem worse. But she didn't sleep very well that night. So she woke up closer to lunchtime than she normally would have. 
The first thing that Barb wanted was a shower. She marched into the bathroom, bleary-eyed and yawning, and turned the faucet to run some hot water. Thick black mud drizzled and spurted into her tub, and it took a moment for Barb's brain to register and act on what she was seeing. She shut off the tap quickly, now fully awake, cursing, her arms and pajama tops splattered with wet dirt. She spat some out of her mouth and continued to cuss as she stomped over to the sink and turned that on. A spray of dirty water burst out of that as well, and she wasn't sure whether to laugh or cry. But it really wasn't time to be hysterical. She had to call somebody. Calling a handyman wasn't too socially taxing, not like calling a relative or a friend. That required conversation and thus a bit more anxiety. Calling someone to fix your pipes or remove a burrowing pest was different. You just told them the problem and they told you the price and when they were available and then you were done. They couldn't reject you because they needed money. Though the added cost to the already dwindling budget due to Murphy's Law coming to bite her in the ass was its own cause for anxiety. And she couldn't remember where she'd left her phone. So she started wandering around her house in a nervous, jittery daze to find it. As she walked past the back door, she paused a second to look out, and then had to look again to make sure her eyes weren't playing tricks on her. She had no back porch. What she had was a half-sunken pile of collapsed wood and debris, and a three-foot drop from the door to the ground. Her mouth hung open in disbelief and horror before she redoubled her efforts to find her phone. Checking each window as she passed, she could see more and more distinct patterns in the dirt where the mole had dug tunnels. Her heart started to pound, and she felt the shakes in her limbs revving up in full force. This was too fast. No mole could cause this much destruction so quickly. Something was very wrong. She needed to get the exterminators here pronto. But when she reached the living room, she realized that there was a van parked outside her front lawn. She scrambled onto the couch and leaned against the back of it to push aside her sheer white curtains. Her eyes bulged. The van with the exterminator's logo and phone number painted on the side was there outside all right, but her front yard was an intricate network of dark lines of dirt. It looked like the front porch had sunk a few inches in the front because she couldn't remember it being so slanted. She bit her lip and got up on unsteady legs. She unlocked the front door and inched her way onto her front porch. She continued to walk slowly until she reached the edge of the concrete steps, peering around for any sign of the exterminators. The van looked empty, and there wasn't anyone wandering the tunnel-strewn yard. She hadn't seen any sign of them in the backyard, either. She was resolving herself to make a run across the lawn to the van for a closer look, her foot just barely touching the dirt, when something shot out of the earth and made an intentional snatch for her ankle. Barb shrieked and kicked out wildly, barely managing to stop herself from getting caught, but not being able to keep from losing her footing. She hit the ground hard. The skin scraped off her elbow and wrists. She scrambled back onto the safety of the porch, staring bug-eyed as a mud-caked claw the size of a man's hand pawed and scraped at the place she'd just been before disappearing back into the earth with a gurgly-sounding growl to be replaced by a mound of dirt. Barb had a pretty good idea what happened to the exterminators as she fled into the safety of her home, locking the door behind her with shaking hands, too speechless with fright to even cuss. 
She scooped up her phone from the coffee table where she'd left it last night and crawled onto the couch, her feet tucked as close to her body in a fetal position as she could manage. Her right foot was caked in dirt, and there was a little blood starting to dry where the dirty claw had scraped her skin. She found she didn't care that much. She only wanted to pull back the curtain and stare out the window for any sign of the thing, her phone gripped, white-knuckled in her hot, sweaty hand. Who did you call for this kind of problem? The police? More exterminators? The fire department? Maybe this needed bigger guns like the FBI or the Army. But she didn't know their number, and they might not believe her. She didn't even believe it herself. So far, there wasn't any sign of something crawling about underground. But she wasn't about to go out and test that. The sound of a screen door opening and closing caught Barb's attention. Lindy Lou came bustling out of her front door with a Tupperware container full of cookies and a concerned look on her face. She made her determined way towards Barb's front lawn, and Barb's mouth opened to scream out something, anything. She didn't know what. All that came out was a croak, like a dying animal. Don't. Mrs. Jeffrey's house slippers held her weight on the lawn for only a fraction of a second. And then she screamed as she sunk up to her waist in dirt. Barb watched, frozen and helpless, barely able to breathe, let alone get up and run to her neighbor's aid, as Lindy Lou struggled and continued to sink. Her pale hands, fingernails painted in purple polish, scratched and clawed at the earth that kept her trapped. The one solid patch that held her up could cave in at any moment for her to fall through to whatever abyss lay below. Barb glanced toward Lindy Lou's house with what strength she had left. In an effort at tearing her gaze away from the mesmerizing horror of the situation. And there was Jeff. He was crouched, staring at Lindy Lou with tiny squinty eyes. Barb only wondered a second why he wasn't running to his wife's aid, before she realized what she was really looking at. Jeff wasn't wearing any clothes. He was caked in mud. His hands were like long clawed shovels. And he suddenly bent forward and started to feverishly dig into the earth before vanishing into it. Barb didn't hear the screen door over Lindy Lou's cries for help, but she saw a broad-shouldered man with blonde hair and a beard race out from the Jeffrey's house towards her. She saw a pair of clawed and muddy hands reach out from the dirt and drag the rest of Mrs. Jeffrey down into the earth. Her screams cut off abruptly, and the ground around the man who was actually Jeff Jeffrey, who worked in the IT department, swallowed him up after his wife. Barb sat there, unable to look away from the window, trapped in her house and alone. She thought with bitter irony as she heard the sound of mud-caked claws scraping against her wood floors that that was exactly what she had wanted just two days ago. I hope you enjoyed Barbara's New Neighbors, as written by L. Pine and performed by Olivia Steele and Melissa Exelberth. L. Pine is a currently unpublished writer and illustrator just out of university. She focuses on making surreal, macabre, and tongue-in-cheek work both artistically and with her short stories and is excited to finally be free to focus on personal projects and make connections. 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Our second tale of the evening is written by Dominic Eagle and is performed by Melissa Medina. And without any further ado, I present to you, Don't Smile at the Morose Man. He was sullen, so I thought I could brighten his day with a smile. Yeah, that was a terrible idea. He certainly wasn't the only gloomy character I'd ever spotted on the early evening train. For many of us, it's a very long journey home from the city. We wear crestfallen expressions, decompressing after another soul-crushing day at work. Nevertheless, this particular man caught my attention. He was standing on the opposite side of the carriage, firmly fixated on the doors behind me. His vacant brown eyes hardly seemed to register what they were seeing. He had a pale complexion, and his skin sagged as if it were too loose for the bald head on which it hung. Most importantly, he was sulking. I smiled. If only I could retract that smile. Anyway... I beamed brightly, striving to cheer the man up. It took a long time for the sour-faced gentleman to notice the upbeat teenage girl who was facing him. Well, it probably only took a couple of seconds, but that certainly feels like a long time to maintain an unreciprocated smile. Eventually, thankfully, the man began to turn. His expression did not change. His body did not move. His head simply rotated enough to keep his eyes firmly locked onto mine. I waited for his frown to turn upside down. It didn't. Slowly, sinisterly, the man shook his head. It was only a slight movement, but that made it all the more intimidating. He shook his head as if to say, you shouldn't be doing that. My glowing grin immediately dissipated, of course. I cast my eyes to the ground, feeling humiliated. 
I pulled my phone out of my pocket, ignoring the burning sensation that scorched my cheeks. How many more stops? I wondered. The most perturbing thing about the entire situation was that the man did not stop looking at me. I could see him in my peripheral vision. Despite my averted gaze, I could still feel those beady little eyes boring into my skull. He did not move, he just stared sullenly. I did what I always do in uncomfortable situations. I went on Reddit. I switched to my throwaway account and asked for advice on dealing with odd people. I fully explained my predicament, and most people just called him a creep. They said to move down the carriage. One user popped up on my private chat. I won't include his username, but he had something more unsettling to tell me. Why would you smile at the morose man? I thought he was screwing with me. I asked why he was calling the stranger the morose man. From your description, I realized who you'd seen. I played along with the prankster, asking him about the morose man, who I assumed to be some sort of urban legend. He minds his own business unless somebody disturbs his peace, and you just disturbed him. You need to get off that train and run. His wrath eventually subsides and he goes on his way. He will pursue you until midnight. My chest started to tighten. I did not believe in ghost stories, but felt something I still couldn't explain. I knew that the Reddit user was telling the truth. I felt it. I could feel it in the man's awful eyes, still watching me. I asked the mystery messenger what the man was going to do. He wasn't doing anything particularly threatening. He was standing still. Why does that matter? Just stay away from him. What time is it in your part of the world? 6.59 p.m. Right, five hours. Just stay away from him and make sure that you avoid doorways. I thought that final sentence was a little peculiar, but it was definitely no more peculiar than the user's claim that this dismal gentleman was some sort of unearthly being. That being said, I couldn't ignore the feeling in my gut. I don't scare easily. This stranger, however, terrified me. We were frozen in that state for another 20 minutes or so. When the train eventually reached the next station, I slinked out of the open doors. I still hadn't looked up from my phone. I didn't want to see the man's ghoulish face. I just wanted to get home. Once I was on the platform, I stopped walking backward. I stood and waited, trying my best to watch the man out of the corner of my vision. He didn't move. He stayed on the train. The doors closed. I cried exuberantly as the train pulled away. What a fool you've made of yourself, Paige, I thought. You let anxiety get the better of you, and now you're at the wrong station. Fantastic. Perhaps the foreboding feeling in my body had simply dissipated because I was no longer near that haunting man. Perhaps it was simply that his gaze was no longer upon me. Whatever the case, I felt normal again. I felt stupid, 
and I began to stroll out of the station. I was bursting for the toilet. I hate public bathrooms, but I knew I still had a long journey ahead of me, so I decided to face my phobia. I strolled into the empty bathroom, which was illuminated by a cold, clinical, fluorescent light. Choosing the first cubicle, I entered, sat down, and opened up the Uber app. I was still about 40 minutes from home if I were to travel by car, and most of the nearby Ubers were not really nearby at all. After about 10 minutes of faffing, I booked one and groaned at the text box, which explained that there would be about a 30-minute wait time. 8 p.m., home by 8.40 p.m., great, dinner, then bed. The main bathroom door suddenly opened. I ignored it, continuing to scroll through my phone. Shoes clumped across the tiled floor. They were very heavy. Slow purposeful. The footsteps stopped. I looked down and saw two black smart shoes poking beneath the bottom of my cubicle door. There are two other cubicles, I pointed out. Knock. Just one knock. That was all. I looked a little more closely at the black footwear and realized, much to my terror, that I was looking at men's shoes. Uh, excuse me, I timidly whispered. Are you... are you in the right bathroom? Knock. Just fuck off, I screamed. An awful feeling came over me. I hoped somebody would come. Somebody had to come. I frantically opened my phone and messaged the Reddit user without fully accepting why I was doing it. I don't think you need me to tell you who's on the other side of that door. I asked my anonymous savior what I should do. Don't open the door. I told you to stay away from doorways. Just wait for somebody else to come into the bathroom. Remember, the morose man doesn't like to be disturbed. If somebody enters, he should leave. So I waited. And waited. I waited until the Uber came and left. Then something dawned on me. I could wait in the cubicle until morning, surely. No such luck, according to my online guru. Closer to midnight, his patience wears thin. For now, he's polite. Soon, he won't be polite. You should pray that somebody enters and interrupts him. I looked at the time on my phone, 8.37 p.m. Then I looked at the bottom of the cubicle door. The knocking had ceased, but the shoes remained. I leaned to one side on the toilet seat, peering through the crack between the door and the cubicle wall, hoping to catch a glimpse of the figure on the other side. Perhaps I wanted to prove to myself that it wasn't, in fact, the morose man. I couldn't see him. He was standing too far to the side. And then, a face slid into view, peering through the gap between the cubicle door and wall, revealing the insidious thing on the other side. Its brown eye was now black. I screamed in panic, instantly jerking myself back to the center of the toilet seat, not daring to move. I wanted to keep messaging my mystery Reddit friend, but he also gave me the creeps. 
Why did he know so much about the morose man anyway? I searched for information about the malicious entity on the internet. Nothing. To calm myself, I decided to accept my position of powerlessness and simply scroll through social media. I wanted something grounded, something based on reality. I know, I never thought I'd say such a thing about social networks. Wait, the police, I thought. I dialed 999. It rang. I was asked which emergency service I wanted to reach. I opened my mouth to answer, but then... Knock, 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 knock. A series of frantic, enraged thuds rattled the cubicle door back and forth. My mouth was open, but no sound escaped my lips. I was petrified. A shushing sound quietly hissed from the other side of the door. I hung up the phone. I suppose it was not a good idea to disturb the morose man. I paused. What other options did I have? I had the idea to ask the Reddit messenger to call the police on my behalf, but the morose man shushed me more aggressively as if he were reading my thoughts. I thought of screaming for help, but he unleashed a croaking wail that sounded like a feral beast caught in a bear trap. I stopped trying to think of solutions. Don't disturb him. I waited. 9.27 p.m. I was running out of time. Two hours of frozen terror in a train station bathroom. Trains kept arriving, but nobody was coming into the bathroom. And there wouldn't be many more trains before midnight. That meant there wouldn't be many more potential bathroom goers. I replayed the Reddit user's message in my head with every passing moment. Soon he won't be polite. 10.31 p.m. The knocking resumed. The overhead lights started to dim as the morose man were gradually extinguishing it. I shuddered ceaselessly, lifting my knees up to my chin and wrapping my arms around them. 11.41 p.m. After four hours in the bathroom, I heard a train, possibly the last train of the evening, pull into the station. The bathroom door finally opened. Two chattering, inebriated women entered the room. I saw the black shoes of the morose man hurriedly scuttle to the cubicle beside me, and he closed the door behind him. I hate having to touch gross toilet door handles after washing my hands, one of the girls said. I'm gonna wedge this door open with my shoe. Chantel, I don't want to fucking talk about bathroom doors. You're such a bitch, one of the girls said. Did you just see that man, Tara? Chantel asked. Hey, don't change the subject, Tara spat. You know that guy in the club saw me first, and... Tara stopped mid-sentence as she saw me, hurtle from my cubicle like a deranged animal slipping on the tiled floor. I sprinted for the exit. You're right, love, Tara drunkenly slurred. Please, I begged. Move out of the way. I need to get out of here. Hey, I told you there was a creepy man in here, Chantel said, marching past me. He's been harassing this poor girl, I bet. Hey, May! My heart sank as I saw Chantel strutting toward the cubicle door next to the one I'd just exited. She pounded furiously on the middle cubicle door. Don't do that, I pleaded. Remember, the morose man doesn't like to be disturbed. 
We've got you, babe, Tara promised, patting my back. Chantelle roared like a lioness and booted the cubicle door inwards with the one high-heeled shoe that she was still wearing. The door practically flew off its hinges, ricocheting off the cubicle wall. I held my breath, waiting for the man to charge at her. What the fuck? Chantelle gasped. He's not in here. Tara snorted with laughter. You dumb bitch, you probably imagined him. Torrential sweat oozed from my goosebump-riddled flesh. The man had strolled into the cubicle beside me. I heard him. Where did he go? This wasn't right. This was all horribly wrong. I started to back toward the exit, bumping into Tara, who was still blocking the doorway. Chantelle frowned. No, I'm telling you, Tara. The girl trailed off, looking in my direction. Her complexion turned paler than that of the morose man. Her eyes widened, her jaw slacked, and her arms fell stiffly to her sides. She unleashed a primal scream of horror. Consumed by unimaginable fear, I realized that I hadn't bumped into Tara. I took a few tentative steps forwards before slowly turning on my heel. The bathroom exit led to a pitch-black train station. The lights were gone. The people were gone. All I could see was the morose man and the unholy act that he was committing. Tara's body was slowly being ingested into the gaping mouth of the black-eyed man. He had grown a foot taller, and his looming figure filled most of the doorway. His morose mouth had widened to squeeze Tara's still wriggling body inside. He used the now abnormally long fingers on his gnarled, ghoulish hands to hold the girl's ankles. He was forcing her headfirst into his nightmarish gullet. I chose flight. Chantelle chose fight. I started to back toward the cubicles, but the manic girl beside me ran towards the exit, screeching at the entity and begging it to release her friend. The man was still greedily swallowing Tara's spasming, half-alive body, but he unwrapped the fingers on his left hand from her ankle and seized Chantelle by the neck. As I continued to back toward the farthest cubicle, I watched the morose man complete one course and prepare for the next. Chantelle was certainly much louder than Tara. She unleashed a series of short, pained yelps, her cries muffled by the inside of the creature's body as he slit her down his throat. I threw open the cubicle door, locked it behind me, and immediately looked at my phone. 11.43 p.m. That traumatizing scene of unfathomable gore took place in the space of two fucking minutes. How? Shoes clomped against the tiles. I found myself where I'd started. I was trapped in the bathroom stall, staring at the shoes that poked through the door's bottom. The morose man had grown so large that he could poke his head over the top of the cubicle door. The horrifying apparition still wore that dejected expression and shook its head at me. 
His morbid frown lifted into a sickening smile for a split second, then it quickly returned to a state of moroseness. The man shook his head at me, much as he had on the train. He was reminding me of what I'd done wrong. I flipped the toilet lid down, clambered onto it, and squished my body against the back wall, trying to escape the wretched thing before me. The morose man was not finished. Midnight was fast approaching, and his patience was wearing out. The elongated fingers on his two hands suddenly appeared, grasping the top of the cubicle door. He violently wobbled it in its hinges. I started to blubber, looking down at the phone in my hand. Every minute felt like an eternity. 11.45 p.m. I wouldn't make it to midnight. I was sure of that. The man reached an arm over the top of the cubicle door, stretching his hellish fingers toward the lock. It fumbled clumsily, trying to slide the door open. I'm not going to stand here and wait to die. I turned to my right and started to pull myself over the wall of the cubicle beside me. I heard the lock slide across when I landed on the other side. The monster barreled into the cubicle I'd just exited. I knew I only had moments to spare, so I fled the middle cubicle and ran toward the bathroom exit. Welcoming the dark embrace of the train station, I didn't pause to look over my shoulder. I already knew that the morose man would be following me. He could find me anywhere. That was when I remembered what the Reddit user had repeatedly said. I told you to stay away from doorways. I know, I was an idiot. Well, I hadn't believed in the morose man. Not really. You can't blame me for going into the bathroom. I'd already put the fright on the train out of my head. I viewed it as a moment of anxiety. I could no longer deny it as I ran across the train platform. I looked over my shoulder. The man was striding across the platform. Slowly and surely, he was striding towards me. But he was slow, and he wouldn't catch me. As long as I stay away from doorways, I can't escape. I kept running. I ran until I reached the end of the platform. I realized I'd foolishly forgotten how to exit the train station. Fuck that, I thought. I don't want to go near doorways. Throwing caution to the wind, with my life hanging in the balance, I jumped down from the platform onto the railway line. I followed the tree-lined train tracks, glancing at my phone. 11.51 p.m. I glanced behind me. The morose man was in pursuit but he seemed even taller now. Taller than any human. And he seemed faster. Much faster. I had to get out of the open. I was too exposed. I darted to my right, entered the forest, and lit the way with my phone. No doors in the forest, and the trees were tightly grouped together, so the gargantuan man would have to shrink back to human size if he were to follow. It seemed like my best option... I weaved between trees, casting my torchlight before me so as not to bump into anything. I didn't want to end up flat on my face. I didn't want to be the morose man's dessert. I heard that unearthly wail once more. It was terrifying enough to startle all of the peaceful creatures in the forest. 
Birds flew from trees and grounded animals rustled in bushes, fleeing the scene. I switched my phone off. No more light. I didn't really think it would make a difference. I felt the man could still find me, even without light or a doorway. Just a few minutes, Paige. You just need to last a few minutes, I convinced myself. Except for the sound of my shoes crunching against leaves, the forest was completely silent. I could scarcely see the outlines of trees in the darkness. The canopy of leaves above me prevented any moonlight from illuminating my surroundings. I heard the booming snap of what sounded like a thick tree branch. The man was close, very close. I desperately wanted to check the time on my phone, but I tried to rely on my body clock. Every second felt like an hour, but I grounded myself. It must be at least 11.55 p.m., I thought. I crept forwards, failing at stealthily traversing the forest. Every step seemed to make noisy contact with leaves and twigs. I tried to quicken the pace. There was no use in concealing my location. He knew where to find me. I suddenly heard low breathing from a few yards behind me. Not daring to turn around, I screamed at the top of my lungs and sprinted ahead, roughly scraping my shoulder against the jagged bark of a tree. I grimaced, but adrenaline pushed me onwards. I fumbled for the phone in my pocket and used it again as my flashlight. I also needed to know the time. I couldn't resist any longer. 11.59 p.m., of course. I continued to swerve between trees, praying that I wouldn't trip. Praying that I wouldn't bump into another tree. One more obstacle could be the death of me. Midnight. I couldn't believe it. I yelled victoriously, twisting around. My flashlight shone on the horrifying specter before me. The morose man was now the height of the trees around him, slinking his skeletal body between them, pursuing me. My heart thumped. Maybe the Reddit user lied. Maybe the morose man never stops. I closed my eyes and braced myself for death. I braced, braced, succumbing to a feeling of pure horror. I felt a brittle limb brush against my clothes. I opened my eyes to the man walking past me, brushing one of his spindly legs against my coat. I turned around, cast my light onto him, and watched as the spider-like, ten-foot-tall man vanished into the depths of the forest. If you ever see a morose gentleman, don't disturb him. Do not smile at him. I hope you enjoyed Don't Smile at the Morose Man, as written by Dominic Eagle and performed by Melissa Medina. You can find more of Dominic Eagle on his subreddit, titled by the same name. As a reminder, voice actress Melissa Medina's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's YouTube channel, as well as her website, hearmelissa.com.
That's H-E-A-R-M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com. Now to the shows. Longtime resident and powerhouse, Otis Jiry has his very own show here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Fear from the Heartland, featuring horror stories brought to you from the Heartland, airing Wednesdays. Eric Peabody's Horror Hill is a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you'll check him out. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.